everyone. Um, as uh, Tim says, I'm Annie Dalton. I'm from the University of West of England in Bristol. And I'm going to be talking today about um, gender and social influence in UK cycling. Um, so just a little bit about what I'm going to talk about. A um, little bit about the background in literature, which first um, led me to be interested in this subject. And um, then I'll talk a little bit about my methodology and research design. And then I'll come on to talk about um, some work that I've been doing in Bristol, which is an exploratory study um, based um, on some interviews and focus groups which I've um, been undertaking over the last few months there. So um, I'm in my second year of my PhD. I'm both um, from health, I have um, supervisors from both health and transport um, backgrounds, and I'm looking really at quite cross-disciplinary fields. And I'm also part of the iConnect consortium, which other people here are involved in, which is evaluating the SusTrans Connect2 program. So um, some of these things have um, already come through earlier on today about levels of cycling and countries with um, low levels of cycling having quite an inequitable distribution of cycling with women, older people um, and different groups tending to be underrepresented whereas um, countries with high levels of cycling are much more equitable um, cycling culture. And um, talking about um, transport and gender patterns um, much as uh, Jennifer was mentioning um, in Australian context, um, shorter, tending to be shorter trips and um, women having more complicated patterns of travel. Um, and this has been interpreted in, in various ways as to whether we need to allow more access to cars or whether um, we should um, provide other possibilities. And um, some things which have come through about specific barriers to cycling for women, maybe around um, greater safety concerns around traffic or personal safety, and perhaps there is this idea being put forward, which is contested around um, greater risk aversion, and also the image of cycling as a dangerous or sporty um, activity, particularly in the UK context. And... Um, Perhaps also greater personal appearance concerns. So, my research questions, I won't um, go into those in any great depth, but um, they're basically around gender and also around looking at social influence and how we can tap into this idea of social influence between genders. And this is um, what I'm talking about today, is the first phase of my research, um, which is taking place in Bristol. I'm going on to do further work in Cardiff um, later um, this year. And I will also have a quantitative part of my study, which is looking at secondary quantitative data for, num for the number of sources, and looking at broad patterns of um, gender and cycling um, in the UK. So... Um, this methodology um, is basically around um, interviewing an initial participant um, who is either male or female and then um, 
talking to some of their social network. So I'll talk a bit more about this um, later on. But that's how, how I'm actually going about the research. So um, in Bristol, I contacted people via bike shops and also um, via workplaces um, and invited them to contact me and um, arrange then arranged an interview. And after the initial interview, I then um, asked them for their social contacts, um, a group of people who I could then speak to um, as a focus group. And um, I got um, quite a small amount of um, data in terms of a mini questionnaire from them, so not very many um, that, but the interviews were semi-structured and explored a number of different areas. Um, looked at, um, similar to others, looked at um, current and childhood cycling patterns, um, what had happened to, a very brief snapshot of what had happened um, to people over, over the years of their cycling, and also asked them about, specifically about social influence, and I also did a social mapping exercise with them, which I'll come on to later, which was trying to explore this in a bit more depth. Um, I looked at what they felt around gender differences, what their thoughts were around that, and also looked at things like cycling with children and their views on different um, cycling infrastructure and their motivations. So, my research participants, um, I interviewed three men and four women, and then I did two focus groups um, following on from two of those participants. Um, as I say, this is my exploratory study, so it was quite small numbers initially. And um, I've given them a very loose categori initial categorization of the types of uh, cyclists. I will probably refine this. There are a number of different um, categorizations um, around this. Um, but quite a broad spread um, from women a woman in her 20s up to somebody in their 60s, and quite different feelings, identities around cycling. Um, so, coming on to some of the gender themes, um, one thing that came out quite strongly from people when asked about this was about different, um, a different style or different pattern of cycling and um, that people tended to feel that there was a, a strong element of competition and even aggression um, around male cycling patterns, which they saw on an everyday basis. Um, some people categorised it as a confidence and an ability to ride in the traffic um, in a confident manner and to, um, as we've seen earlier on, to anticipate and um, traffic and so on, but um, other people saw it more as a, um, an aggressive behaviour. And um, one of the participants, Ellen, talked about a specific incident whereby um, she had seen a male cyclist approach, have an incident with a car driver and actually um, bang on the window of the um, car and try and get the person to come out who 
driving the car and um, how that had really, she tried to intervene and how that had really shaken her up and made her perhaps see levels of daily aggression on her commute to work and really um, sort of brought that home to her. Um, so, but there's also themes around um, speed and the, the speed at which people felt comfortable and willing to cycle. And as Kay mentions there, um, as she wanted to, if she went out cycling with male and female friends, it, it may be quite a different experience. And um, she did both, but knew that for her, she enjoyed having the, um, as she described it, tootling along, wanting to stop when she saw something interesting. Um, whereas um, it, it, there was a sense that uh, she couldn't do that if she was cycling with men because they would want to get there as quickly as possible. And um, coming on to some of the social influence um, themes. Now, um, first of all, I just want to talk a bit about direct social ties, which did seem to be very important for people in um, in their cycling, taking, especially taking up cycling again. And um, these could be various figures. They might be friends, might be family, might be work colleagues. And there may be a whole host of different reasons why those particular figures were influential for these participants. Um, so, for example, John, um, there's obviously a sense for him that um, a competent um, sort of competitive edge of wanting to be as good as the boss and cycle because the boss does and would, that would be um, helpful for him in his, um, in his job. Um, but obviously senses of friends being very influential and people that we live with on an everyday basis watching them and seeing how, how they're um, cycling and then, then encouraging us. So Lucy um, was very definitely persuaded by two people that she, she lived with. Um, I've also found, I mean, obviously very small numbers and I will have to see whether this is, comes through in the further interviews that I do, but that there does seem to be some element of gender um, difference in social influence. So women seem to be more influenced by female figures and men than by male figures. I say that's I have to see whether that comes through. So there's the immediate um, identification um, with people and people who influence us. And there's also a sense of wider identification um, with could be um, online forums, chat, chat rooms, things like that, cycling websites and the whole cycling culture was quite influential for a couple of people and said that it really, it didn't um, initiate them taking up cycling in the first place but it kept them motivated through difficult periods when perhaps they were a bit fed up and thought, oh, what am I doing this for? And having that, that sense. So um, one of the participants, Tristan, said, websites like Bike Radar sort of sustain and were able to keep his level of enthusiasm for cycling going. And um, other people saw it around identities. So one participant was very linked in with this idea of it being part of her green identity. 
and the person that was influencing her to cycle was um, very much attuned to that and was able to um, see that as part of something that she, she wanted to do. And also a, a sense of a political identity. Ellen, who had returned to cycling in 80s London, um, was very keen on um, being identified as part of a counter culture or a, a cycling culture that was quite different from, from the street. And um, also something that seemed to come through was this idea of what I've termed Magic 30, was that people very... Um, this seemed to be a real pivotal point that people mentioned quite a lot and that that was when perhaps a whole range, a whole host of um, influences may come together to produce that um, stage for people wanting to, to return or to take up cycling. So there was a background sense of health, sense of exercise, sense of changing lifestyle away from a perhaps more um, a younger, more student-led um, um, identity and people feeling that they couldn't um, continue in a lifestyle pattern that they've had for a certain number of years and that cycling was an easy way to, to remedy that. And uh, just coming on to some of the social mapping, um, which I did with participants, I asked people to talk about who in their social sphere was influential to them, and whether those influences tended in terms of cycling, and whether those influences tended to be encouraging or discouraging. So were the people who perhaps were concerned about their safety when they cycled and put them off cycling, were the people who were constantly prodding them, saying, come on, you should be getting out on your bike. And where, where were these people placed in terms of a, um, a map? So here on the left-hand side, um, we've got Lucy's more discouraging influences and then a more um, encouraging environment. And although they were... Um, mostly intended to be people's immediate contact. People have also mentioned um, things like having an encouraging work environment um, and other, you know, again, online um, presence as well as, as things which really were important to them in their sense of... of um, and uh, just give you another example here. Um, John, who, again, we can see... Um, for him, and the proximity tends to relate to how important that is. I'd ask people to, to try and have a sense of um, the nearer things were, then the more important they, they or the more influential they were. And you can see here that that whole idea of cycling culture was very important for this participant. And also cycling um, with their children and teaching their children to cycle was particularly um, important. So one thing I found was that people didn't have very many what we might call discouraging or negative influences, which I was quite intrigued about because I'd expected to find a more balanced picture. And some of the reasons 
why this may be. Obviously, um, the people who are cycling may have a, quite an encouraging um, circle to start off with, which is perhaps why they are the ones who are cycling. Um, but it may also be about us not remembering or discounting in various ways the people who may put us off or the incidents which may put us off um, on a daily basis. They may be harder to remember. We may actively block them out. And it may also be uh, around how the, how the data has been collected and whether it's been collected in a way which is um, subtle enough to get beyond people's ideas that, oh no, I'm not, I'm not influenced, I, you know, I do my own thing, which can be quite prevalent for you. And uh, another thing with this particular methodology was um, moving on to the focus group stage was quite, um, quite difficult in terms of gaining people's um, contacts and them feeling comfortable in giving me those details. It may be that they were worried because they themselves would be discussed in the focus group and their cycling behaviour. And it may also be that they didn't want to inconvenience others and they were happy to be taking part in the research themselves, but they didn't want to try and speak for other people. So I'm looking at various ways to increase this when I go on to the next um, study. And yeah, just to say, my next steps are to um, do more research in the area of um, Cardiff and Penarth, which is one of the Connect2 sites. And um, I, I will be hopefully yeah, starting that at the beginning of October. Um, I think I found that these, um, these are significant factors, um, but the, the process of actually teasing them out from individual contacts is quite tricky. And this will be something that I'll be doing much more analysis on over the next few, few weeks and, and months. And uh, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anya.